tonight we're going to look at a name of God that's not not always listed in the names of God. If you ever see a plaque with the names of God or maybe a study on the names of God, you don't always see this one, but I believe it's an important one. It's Jehovah-Rohi, which simply means the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Does that sound familiar? I think it's important to recognize that the Lord calls himself shepherd. And we want to think about what that means about him and what it means about us. So look there in Psalm 23. This is where Jehovah-Rohi is found. A Psalm of David. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. If you looked at that in the Hebrew, it would be Yahweh or Jehovah-Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I want to give you three thoughts about uh, the Lord being our shepherd. And under thought number three, I want to give you a, a, a lot of subpoints. So to say this is a three-point message would be misleading because there's a lot more points than that, okay? So we're going to go fast and we're going to dig in. If you have a question, just jot it down in, on your notes and you can ask me at the end of our time when I answer any questions that you have. But uh, number one... Once you see this, the Bible calls God a shepherd. The Bible calls God a shepherd. Now, there are a lot of verses there. We're not going to have time to look at every verse that calls God a shepherd or attributes to God shepherd-like attributes, but we're going to look at a few of them just to get the gist. Of course, there in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Back up with, with me to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. This is Jacob blessing his sons. And it says in verse 15 that he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my, what's the word there? Shepherd all my life to this day. Look over with me in chapter 49 of, of Genesis. Verse 24. This is Israel or Jacob prophesying uh, concerning his sons. And here he's talking about Joseph and what his, his descendants would be like. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. Uh, the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So it calls God the shepherd of Israel. Now... Uh, fast forward with me to, um, let's look at Psalm 28, another psalm. Look at two more passages. Psalm 28, verse 9. Again, a psalm of David. Save your people. This is David talking to the Lord. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. So, so David is asking God to be a shepherd to his people. And then turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. One more passage. Isaiah chapter 40, one of the great chapters in the Bible. If you haven't read Isaiah chapter 40 in a while, take take. 10 minutes out of your day, get a cup of coffee, and read Isaiah 40. Great, great chapter. Isaiah chapter 40, 
verse 11, talking about God being a comforter to his people. It says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And so again, God here is compared to a shepherd. It's, it, this verse reminds us that God functions with his people as a shepherd functions with his sheep. And there are many other places that, that uh, mention uh, God being a shepherd. Let me show you a couple of New Testament instances real quick because Jesus takes on the role of a shepherd, uh, and he's God, so he can do that. Uh, John chapter 10. In John 10. Verse 1, John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, he's going to get real clear here, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who, come, uh, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who's that talking about? Who's that talking about? Satan thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus here calls himself the good shepherd. And shepherd. And remember, this is one of the I am statements. He uses the name of God from the Old Testament. The I am, the, the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. Jesus says, I am. Ego I me. I am the good shepherd shepherd. Uh, he's uh, attributing to himself the attribute of shepherd, just as God the Father has attributed that attribute in the Old Testament. Now turn with me to Hebrews 13, near the back of the New Testament. I'm not doing this to convince you, I just, these are cool verses, alright? I think I've read you enough to convince you already, but, but these are just some really, really neat verses. So look in Hebrews 13, verse 20. This is as the writer of Hebrews, who was, who wrote Hebrews? Anybody remember my sermon series on Hebrews? Who wrote Hebrews? <laughs> okay, that's, that's encouraging. Who wrote Hebrews? We don't know. Good answer, Teddy. All right. Some people say it was Paul, but I don't believe it was, but that's a whole different message. Okay. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace, this is the benediction. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of our internal covenant... Even Jesus, our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that God the Father brought up from the dead the great shepherd, speaking of Jesus Christ. So we, there's a lot more verses, too, that speak of this, this metaphor pertaining to God. So the Bible calls God a shepherd. So if the Bible calls God a shepherd that many times, we probably ought to start getting clued in that this might be important. We need to understand what is meant by the Bible calling God a shepherd, which leads me to number two. And you won't understand, you won't understand number three until you get number two, okay? Here's number two. The Bible compares people to sheep. 
So the Bible calls God a shepherd, but the Bible compares people to sheep because shepherds have sheep. And God's a shepherd, so his people are his sheep. Now, let me just say this is not a real flattering metaphor for people. Okay, it's, it's just not. So let me just give you a couple of thoughts about uh, sheep. Well, let's look at some verses first. Look at Isaiah 53 with me. Isaiah 53, Old Testament. And then turn to Psalm 95. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says this. All we, that means humanity, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So that verse reminds us that we've all rebelled against God. We've all gone our own direction. We've all sinned. And God took the punishment that we deserve and poured it out on his son. He punished his son in our place. That's what the cross is all about. But notice here it says we are like sheep. We have gone astray. Then look in Psalm 95, verse 7. The psalmist here says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Look in Psalm 100. This is a well-known psalm. You've probably read this psalm before, or heard it before, or maybe sung it before. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. Great verse. Know uh, it is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the, what? Sheep of his pasture. So God is, is, is uh, called a shepherd. He has the attributes of a shepherd. We are called sheep. Now let me tell you a couple things about sheep. Sheep are not known for their intelligence. You say, wait, that offends me that sheep aren't known for their intelligence and I'm called a sheep. Well, anyone in here ever done something dumb? Raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely. We all have. I mean, I've heard people say, if I had life to live over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I don't have any regrets. What a dumb statement. If I had life to live over again, I can tell you there'd be a lot of things I'd do different. How about you? I mean, we do some dumb stuff. I, mean, I think about some things I did in my past, and that was just dumb, right? Dumb. And so sheep are not known for their intelligence. A blogger I read made reference to an article from the website called The Peninsula, which describes itself as Qatar's uh, uh, leading English daily publication. And in the, on this website, here was the story. It was titled, 400 Sheep Fall Off Cliff in Turkey. Okay? Now here's the complete text of the article. This all took place in Istanbul. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived, newspaper reports said yesterday. Shepherds from Ikazler village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free, the Daily said. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. So here's what this story tells us. This really happened in Istanbul. One sheep decided to walk over the edge of a cliff to his death. And the rest of the sheep thought, well, that's a good idea. And they just followed him and just kept walking. You know, apparently none of the sheep stopped and looked over the edge and thought this might not be the best thing to do. I mean, 
they just followed their leader right over the cliff while the shepherds couldn't stop them. They couldn't stop them, call them back. They couldn't stop what was happening there. The sheep were just making terrible decisions, destructive decisions, walking over the cliff. Does that sound familiar? You ever walked away from God? God knows what's best for your life. God tells you what's right, what's wrong. He tries to guard you from destruction and harm, and yet you just keep walking away from God, headed towards that bad decision, headed towards that destruction. We are like sheep, a lot more than we want to admit. Sheep are not known for their intelligence. Also, sheep are helpless animals. Sheep are helpless animals. One commentator I read said this about shepherds. Shepherds are everything to their sheep. Because sheep are so dependent. They need someone to feed them, someone to make sure they rest, someone to make sure they go to good grazing ground, someone to protect them from enemies. I mean, if a wolf comes in or a bear or whatever, they, are, they can't fight back, they, don't, they can't run. They, they're just, they're sheep, they're helpless. They have to have a shepherd to thrive and be health, healthy. And the Bible calls us sheep, which is just an indicator that we need some help. Amen? We need God. We need to be dependent upon Him because if we don't have a shepherd, then we are bound for heartache and destruction and pain in this life. And so the Bible compares people to sheep. And they're not known for their intelligence, and they are completely, utterly dependent on a shepherd. And so that's, that's us. We are sheep. Now here's the third truth I want to give you. And then we're going to unpack that, Okay. The Bible calls God a shepherd. The Bible compares people to sheep. And third, the imagery of shepherd and sheep helps us to understand our relationship with God. This imagery, God being a shepherd, we being the sheep, helps us to understand what it means to be God's child. What it means to have a relationship with Him. What it means to walk with God. This helps us to understand our relationship so much better. Hence, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is all about our relationship with God. God and what it means that God is our shepherd. So let's just start with, with, with verse 1 before we get into your notes there. Psalm 23, verse 1. It's really amazing. Look what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, somebody tell me what the name of God is there where it says Lord. What's the name of God there? There's, there's, a, there's a clue. What's the clue? All caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So whenever you see Lord in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that means what? What name is that of God? Yahweh, the divine name of God, the, the name he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Okay, Verb of being, I am that I am. Okay, That's Yahweh or Jehovah. It's, it's translated uh, uh, or pronounced two different ways. Translated two different ways. So, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, if it was capital L and then lowercase o-r-d, what is the name of God? Adonai, Master Lord, okay? But this is Yahweh, the covenant name of God uh, in terms of his relationship with his people. And so he says, Yahweh, the same God that revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, the same God that spoke the universe into existence, the same God that led Israel out of Egyptian bondage and slavery, the same God that has done miracle after miracle after miracle, that God, the Lord, is my shepherd. What an amazing thought that the, the God who is transcendent and overall has drawn near to us to serve us as a shepherd. 
I have a quote there in your notes, and it's an extended quote, but it's just too good. I, I tried to cut some out, but I said, you, you just need the whole quote, all right? This comes from James Montgomery Boyce, a great Presbyterian preacher of the 20th century. Let me just kind of read this to you. Just, just think about what he's saying here. The Lord is my shepherd. What an amazing juxtaposition of ideas. The word Lord is the English translation of the great Old Testament personal name for God, first disclosed to Moses at the burning bush, as told in Exodus 3 and then repeated more than 4,000 times in the pages of the Old Testament. The name literally means, I am who I am. It is an inexhaustible name, like its bearer. Chiefly, it refers to God's timelessness on the one hand and to his self-sufficiency on the other. Self-sufficiency means that God needs nothing. He needs no wisdom from anyone else. He has all wisdom in himself. He needs no power. He is all-powerful. He needs he, he does not need to be worshipped or helped or served, nor is he accountable to anyone. He answers only to himself. Timelessness means that God is always the same in these eternal traits or attributes. He was like this yesterday. He will be like this tomorrow. He will be unchanged and unchangeable forever. He is the great I Am. Isn't that awesome? That's what it means. It's called the God, God Yahweh, Lord. On the other side of this amazing combination of ideas is the word shepherd. In Israel, as in other ancient societies... A shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. If a family needed a shepherd, it was always the youngest son, like David, who got this unpleasant assignment. Shepherds had to live with the sheep 24 hours a day, and the task of caring for them was unending. Day and night, summer and winter, in fair weather and foul, they labored to nourish, guide, and protect the sheep. Who in his right mind would choose to be a shepherd? Yet, Jehovah has chosen to be our shepherd, David says. Listen, here it is. The great God of the universe has stooped to take just such care of you and me. That's what's meant by that phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. The great God of the universe has, has drawn near to stoop down so that he could serve us and provide for us and nourish us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. And so this idea, the Lord is my shepherd, is an incredible idea. It speaks of relationship with God. I like what... Ken Hempel writes about Psalm 23. He writes, It's probably written in the latter years of David's reign as Israel's king. This psalm is one of the most powerful and poignant passages to come from the pen of this prolific author. It clearly has the ring, I like this, of personal experience. It speaks of a faith sobered by trial and a life mellowed and matured by the passing of years. You will recall that David had experienced conflict, both internal and external. That included war, family dissolution, personal disappointments, discouragement, despair, that would equal or exceed the experiences of any of us today. David was a servant of God whose hands had been soiled by the murder of Uriah. His was a life marked by an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and the ensuing family fighting that led to several deaths and ongoing conflict among his own family members. David experienced sin and sorrow. He knew the pain of the death of a young son and the rebellion of another son who tried to take his kingdom. Yet this psalm tells us that through it all, the king, who was a great warrior, had discovered God as his tender shepherd. That's what Psalm 23 is about. David, the great warrior, discovers that God is a tender shepherd. David understands, he discovers through life, what it means to know God. What it means to have a relationship with God through all the turmoils and trials of life. And so, we want to answer this question from Psalm 23. What does my relationship with the Lord mean for my life? If the Lord is my shepherd, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that play out? If the Lord of the universe, the one who created everything, has stooped 
to be my shepherd, what does that mean for my life? Well, first of all, it means provision. It means provision. Look in verse 1. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's saying there, as long as the Lord is my shepherd, I won't want, uh, I will not want for anything that I need. I will not want. God is a provider. He provides everything that I need. Now, how does the Lord provide? Let me give you several things here from the psalm. First of all, the Lord provides for physical needs. Verse 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Of course, pastures would serve a dual role for sheep. Number one, he says it makes me lie down. It'd be a place for sheep to rest. Number two, a pasture would be a place to eat, right? It's like a it's like a sheep buffet. You, you walk in and there's grass and you're able to eat that uh, in that pasture. And so David here, by saying the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures, is saying that the Lord provides for my physical needs. Provides the rest I need, provides the food I need, the nourishment I, I need. He provides for my physical needs. And that's a, a, an important thing to realize about God. That God is a God that meets our needs according to his riches in glory. Uh, I love what Jesus says over in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 7, uh, 6, Matthew chapter 6. He says, he says, you know, you worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. You know, look at the, the flowers of the field. Look how God has clothed them. Look at the birds, the sparrows, how they get what they need in terms of nourishment. Don't you know you're more valuable to God than sparrows or flowers in the field? You're, you're his child. You don't need to worry and wring your hands about God meeting your physical needs. And so the Lord provides for our physical needs. Secondly, the Lord provides rest. says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, if you read about sheep, you know that they can't rest unless everything's just perfect. Okay? They, they don't, if they're agitated at all, then they can't rest. And so when it says he leads me beside still waters, he's saying he leads me to a place that is quiet, a place that it, where the conditions are right for me to rest. Now, when David speaks of God giving him rest, I don't believe he means here physical rest. Like he let me take a nap. That's not what he means. I believe he means he, he let me come to a place of peace in my life, a peace of wholeness, peace of shalom, where I could rest in my relationship with God. Even though my world was in turmoil, even though everything around me was, was difficult and hard, God uh, allowed me to rest knowing that I, I am in his hand. So the Lord provides rest for his sheep, that we can be still and know that he is God. Psalm 4610. The Lord provides rest. And uh, I was at a a funeral last week, and, and I, was, I had a part in the funeral with another pastor. And uh, this pastor was speaking on Psalm 23, and he made this point. I've never thought about it before. He says, David writes, he makes me lie down. You know, sometimes God, in his sovereignty, can bring you to a place in life to make you rest. He can make you slow down and evaluate where you are with him and evaluate what it means to be in relationship with him. God has a way of, of making you rest if you need to. Uh, you know, and, and, and so we need to understand that God is sovereign in that. So the Lord provides for physical needs. The Lord provides for rest. The Lord provides restoration. Look in verse 3. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. It speaks of restoration, God doing for you what you need spiritually. Not only does God do for, do for you what you need physically, he, he, he provides for your spiritual needs as well. So what are our spiritual needs? 
Our spiritual needs are, number one, salvation, right? We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Our sins separate us from God. Uh, because of our sin against God, we deserve to go to hell. We deserve God's wrath and His punishment for our sin. But God sent His Son to take our punishment for us so that if we embrace Christ, our sins are washed away. So He restores you. He, he saves you. He forgives you of all your sins. And then after you become a believer in Christ, you still mess up sometimes, right? You still blow it. And when you blow it, you need that restored fellowship, that restored closeness with God. You need that, you need that uh, restoration of your soul, even as a believer in Christ. And David here is saying, I know what it means for God to restore my soul. Now think about David. Think about his life. Did he ever need restoration in his life? Well, first of all, he needed to be saved, and he was. He, the Bible says he was a man after his own heart, right? So he was a, a believer in Christ. He was saved. But then, think about some of the things, remember he was a sheep, some of the dumb things that David did. You remember one night David's walking around on his rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba uh, bathing, and he should have been out fighting with his men, but he's, he's taking it easy, he's leisure time, and instead of walking away and getting inside and, and averting his eyes, he, he takes it all in to the point where he's inflamed with lust, and he gets a servant to bring uh, Bathsheba to him, and we're told in the narrative that Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah is listed as one of David's mighty men, one of his 30 mighty men. He had, like, special forces around him, 30 guys who were, who were, were, were awesome warriors. Uriah was one of his faithful men that, that served him and protected him and fought for David for years. And, and now David betrays that trust by calling for Uriah's wife. Um, they have... Uh, relations, and she becomes pregnant with David's child. Uh, David tries to bring Uriah in and make it look like it's Uriah's child. That all goes badly because Uriah is such a noble warrior. And so David's only recourse is, I've got to kill Uriah. And so he plans for Uriah to be killed. He tells the commander that when you're on the front lines in fierce battle, fall back so that Uriah's there by himself and he will die in battle. And that's exactly what happened. So here we have a man after God's own heart guilty of adultery and what? Murder. And deceit. I mean, that's three of the Ten Commandments right there, right? Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. You know, I mean, I mean he, he was great. Do not murder. I mean, that's four, what, four of the Ten Commandments right there. In one point of his life, David was just, man, he was just uh, disobeying God in major, major ways. Now, those foolish decisions cost him for the rest of his life. I mean, let's, let's, don't, let's don't minimize the consequences of sin. If you look at the book of 2 Samuel, after he's confronted by Nathan, there were some very serious consequences that his sin brought about on his household. But God still forgave him and restored his soul. And we know that because we read Psalm 51, where David prays this prayer of repentance after he's confronted by Nathan, the prophet. And he says things like this, Cleanse me with hyssop, create in me a clean heart, O God. He's asking God to to restore him, asking God to forgive him. It's a beautiful prayer of repentance. And, and David experienced the restoration of God. I think I've shared this illustration before. If, if you've heard it, just kind of bear with me and act interested. But uh, J. Philip Keller was a real-life shepherd that wrote a book called a, a Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he was sharing his insights from shepherding uh, with the, the imagery used in Psalm 23. And when he got to the, the phrase, He restores my soul, J. Philip Keller talked about cast sheep. And a cast sheep was a sheep that would fall down 
and basically roll over on his back, and his center of gravity would shift, and the sheep was, remember, they're helpless. The sheep could not get back on his feet by himself. I mean, he's just laying there with his feet in the air, okay? And, and, and the shepherd's job was to scan the flock, and if he saw a sheep on his back, feet in the air, he knew that he would die soon because the gases would build up in his body, and he would not make it. And so the shepherd had to find these sheep that were cast and pick them up and literally put them back on their feet. And J. Philip Keller says, that's what David's talking about here. He's talking about being spiritually flat on your back, where you've blown it big time. And God comes along in His grace and His mercy and His compassion and His forgiveness, and He picks you up and puts you back on your feet. There's, there's been many times in my life, I needed God to come and put me back on my feet. How about you? Because of foolish decisions on my part. And God is a God faithful to do that. And so God provides for us uh, physical, provides for our physical needs, He provides for our rest, provides for our restoration, provides for our guidance. So, wait, what does it mean that the Lord's my shepherd? It means that you will have provision from God's hand. Provision. Secondly, oh, I'm sorry, I missed a blank. Also, God provides guidance. Look in verse 3. Verse 3. He says, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And so David said, God shows me the right way. God helps me to go the right way. Notice he says here, paths of righteousness. God shows me the right way, the direction I need in life. And God is a guiding God. God guides us through His Word. God guides us through His indwelling Spirit. God guides us in the way that we need to go. If we ever make foolish decisions and go our own way, it's not because God hasn't told us the right way. Right? We're, we're, we're making those foolish decisions with full knowledge that we're going the wrong way. Because God shows us the right way. It's here in the Bible. And so, God provides guidance in our life. Next, what does my relationship with the Lord mean for my life? It means presence. God's presence. Look in verse 4. Now let me tell you something interesting here in Psalm 23. If you've never seen this before, it's beautiful. The first three verses, the psalmist is talking about God. He's my shepherd. He restores my soul. Makes me lie down. But in verse 4, he starts to talk to God. I love that. When God is your shepherd, listen, you don't have to just talk about God. You can talk to God, right? I'm convinced that, that a lot of Christians love the thought, okay, God's my shepherd, the Lord's my shepherd, and they'll amen that and praise the Lord, but they never talk to him. They never talk to him. If, listen, if he's your shepherd, that means that you've embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a personal relationship with God, you can talk to him now. You can actually open your mouth and talk to the God of the universe. Isn't that an astounding thought? Man, why are we so prayerless when we can talk to God? And he tells us to, invites us to. But he says here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you. He's talking to God. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David says, when I'm going through valleys, even valleys of death, facing the most difficult thing, life has to bring my direction. I don't fear because I know that you are with me. He, he rests in God's unfailing presence in his life. Here's what I want you to understand. Good days, bad days. Mountaintops, valleys. Wonderful times, gut-wrenching times. Whatever road you're walking through in life, if you are God's child, he's your shepherd, and he will always be with you. Period. And, and sometimes you can't see that or feel that. It's just a faith thing. 
by faith, I know God's with me in this. I don't feel it. My circumstances don't seem to indicate it. But I know the Bible says God's with me, and I'm going to believe that God's with me. And I, I trust that God, one day God will make me feel it if I don't feel it now. But God is with me even through the valleys of the shadow of death. God's presence in our life. Next, what does my relationship with the Lord mean for my life? It means protection. Protection. Look in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You provide for my needs. You serve me as my shepherd, even among the enemies I'm surrounded by. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, if anyone knew about enemies, it was David. I mean, from the get-go, David had enemies. When he was a shepherd, he fought lions and bears. Remember that story over in 1 Samuel 17? He said to Saul, if the Lord gives me victory over lions and bears, he'll give me victory over this giant. Then he fought Goliath. There's an enemy for you, a giant. Then he fights the Philistines. And then Saul grows jealous of him. We're studying this on Sunday mornings. And Saul and his kingdom is all marshaled against David, trying to hunt him down and murder him. He knew about enemies. And he fought the Philistines. He had Philistine enemies. Later on in 2 Samuel, his own son, Absalom, becomes his enemy. Tries to take the kingdom away from him. David knew all about enemies. And look what David says. You meet my needs. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. Now what does it mean that God anointed his head with oil? Some commentators think this represents a, a change in the psalm's basic image passing from that of a shepherd guiding a sheep to that of a householder welcoming a guest at the table. Uh, they, and they point to the, the phrase, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Philip Keller, the shepherd, says this. He sees this anointing with oil as the shepherd's preparation of the high tablelands or mesas where the sheep graze in summer. A good shepherd will prepare these before the sheep arrive, removing physical hazards, destroying poisonous plants, and driving predators away. Keller also has a chapter in which he describes how ancient shepherds use a mixture of olive oil, you know what my head with oil, olive oil, sulfur, and spices to protect their sheep from insects and promote the healing of infectious skin diseases. So which is it, Wade? When he says, you've anointed my head with oil. Is it God changing the imagery to now in a household serving a feast? Or is this the shepherd anointing him as a sheep with oil to protect him from insects and healing up wounds? My answer is neither. Can you tell you what's helped me with this? Preaching through 1 Samuel. All right? 1 Samuel is all about God taking the kingdom away from Saul and giving it to a man after his own heart. If you remember, in 1 Samuel 16, God sends Samuel, the prophet, to anoint David, the next king. And from that point on, David had enemies. And I believe what David's saying here is this. You chose me to be the next king. You chose my purpose, you gave me a destiny, you gave me direction, guidance in life. You anointed my head with oil to be the next king. And from that point on, I was surrounded by enemies, but you still fulfilled your purpose for my life. In the midst of all these enemies, God, you protected me, you provided for me, you made me king. You, you came through on your anointing. You came through on what you said you were going to do with my life. I believe the anointing of his head with oil speaks of him being anointed as the next king of Israel. That's just my opinion. People a lot smarter than me could argue differently than that. But that's my view, and I think preaching to 1 Samuel has helped me to see that. So, God provides protection. We're surrounded by enemies. He provides protection in the midst of that. Right, let's just talk for a second about protection. 
Who are some enemies that we're surrounded by today? What, do, we have, do we have enemies? I mean, we don't, we're not fighting Goliath or Philistines. So do we have enemies today? Who are our enemies today? Why do we need protection today? Who, who are our enemies? What's that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive, drivers. Yeah, okay. Yeah, crazy drivers. Okay, all right. One thing about that, but okay, yeah. All right. They make us, they make us rage. What's that? Unbelievers. Yeah, unbelievers. Uh, Paul, over in uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul calls the unbelievers enemies of the cross. So, yeah, there are people out there who are ardent unbelievers and are enemies of the cross of Christ. No question. Some other enemies we encounter. Yeah, media. Uh, the, 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 the Bible used the phrase the world, the, all that is ungodly in the world, the system of the world, the the media, entertainment, you, you, we're just bombarded with ungodly, unbiblical messages, and, and they become uh, enemies of, of Christ's followers. You can believe anything you want to believe, as long as it's not biblical Christianity, right? Anything goes. I mean, you can believe anything you want to believe, say anything you want to say, unless you say, you know, Jesus is the only way to be saved. And that's abhorrent. You can't say that in a public forum. You know, Christians are being marginalized, and, and, and they're increasingly being not only left out of the conversation, they're being kept out of the conversation. On, on, on social issues, and that's by design. We should, we should expect that. We, we are surrounded by enemies, people that do not have the values we have as believers in uh, the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, in a couple of weeks, the, I think it's the first Wednesday in May, we're going to have another Worldview Wednesday where we all get together in this room. Uh, parents, grandparents, youth, children, we're all going to be in the same room. And for the first 45 minutes, from 6 to 6.45, I'm going to talk to that group about truth, uh, that there is such thing as truth, real, absolute, moral truth. Uh, two plus two can't be four and five at the same time, right? I mean, two plus two equals four all the time, okay? And so I'm going to talk about that, and I'm going to apply it, particularly to our young people. I want to talk to them about this. I want to apply it to um, pluralism and world religions because what they're hearing all the time, they're hearing it at school, they're hearing it on the media, hearing it from, from you know, the celebrities in our culture, they're hearing all the time that hey, all roads lead to the same place, it's all the same, it's, you know, just whatever, just have faith and do what you want to do, and you're all going to get to the same place anyway. That's religious pluralism. Listen, if there is a such thing of tr as truth, then pluralism can't be true. In other words, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's either true or false. Okay, if that's true, then what Islam says about Mohammed can't be true. That makes sense? Okay, so, so, the, so you can't say all roads lead to, lead to heaven because you have two things saying two totally different, two religions saying two totally different things. And so once we understand that there is real truth, then we look at the evidence to see where, uh, what is true, to see where the truth leads us, okay? So I'm going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But, but know that we have enemies in our culture, uh, unbelievers, uh, we see in our, the media, the system of this world, uh, we have enemies everywhere. I think it's interesting to note that the Bible calls death an enemy. Did you know that? The Bible calls death an enemy. It calls it the last enemy. And guess what? Jesus is taking care of that one too. Amen? He defeated death when he rose from the grave. So, God protects us in the presence of our enemies. And then last, what does my relationship with the Lord mean for my life? It means provision, it means presence, it means protection, and it means promise. Promise. God 
has made you some promises. If you're his child, God has promised you some things. Look what David says here. Surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David says, I know two things as a sheep. I know two things are true when I call the Lord my shepherd. Number one, I know that no matter what happens in my life, God's mercy and goodness is following me. God is good, and God is ultimately going to bring good out of the, out of the, the, the conditions of my life, the circumstances of my life. And then he says this, when the Lord's my shepherd, I know that one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Of course, he's talking about heaven here, a place of no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He says, the Lord's my shepherd. I know that when this sad, hard, difficult, surrounded by enemies life is over, I know that it gets better. I get to go and be in heaven, and I'll be there forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I got a text last night, uh, later last night, and it said George Beverly Shea passed away. You know who George Beverly Shea uh, was? He was a famous singer with Billy Graham Crusades. Uh, he, uh, I, I love George Beverly Shea. I love him when he singing The Wonder of It All, and, and I'd Rather Have Jesus, and just one of those great, great songs of the faith. And I got the text, and it simply said, George Beverly Shea has died. And my text back was this. I bet he's singing now. If you were to see him in heaven right now, I, I, I bet you he's singing. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to hear George Beverly Shea sing How Great Thou Art when he sees Jesus for the first time face to face? Wouldn't that be awesome to hear? Um, and so we know, because George Beverly Shea was one of God's children, that he's going to be there forever and ever and ever and ever with his Lord and Savior. And if you're a Christ follower... Same promise applies to you. The promise of eternal life. And David understood this. He understood that he had some promises he could cling to in the midst of being surrounded and overwhelmed by circumstances and enemies. I like what Warren Wearsby writes about these promises that goodness and mercy will follow all the days of, of our life. He writes, one day you will look back at your life and see that it was only goodness and mercy. And that includes the valley experiences. Let me read this again. One day, listen, listen carefully. One day you will look back at your life and see that it was only goodness and mercy. And that includes the valley experiences. So one day, you're going to look back on it all and it's all going to make sense. I'll be honest with you. I've encountered some things lately that just don't make a lot of sense. They're, they're head scratchers. They're hard to figure out. You're perplexed. You don't know what God's doing. You ask the why question. There, there's some head scratchers out there. But when we look back on our life one day, it's all going to make sense. And we're going to see that it was all God's mercy, all God's grace in our lives. There's a, there's a song out now. I love it. It's a Casting Crown song. Uh, it's called Already There. And it has a little bridge on it. It says, one day I'll stand before you and look back on the life I lived. I can't wait to enjoy the view and see how all the pieces fit. Isn't that good? One day I'll stand before you and look back on the life I lived. I can't wait to enjoy the view and see how all the pieces fit. So Warren Wiersbe writes, One day you will look back at your life and see that it was only goodness and mercy. And that includes the valley experiences. If life is difficult today, just keep following the shepherd. He will never lead you where he cannot care for you. And so, say, so Wade, what does it mean that the Lord's my shepherd? It means provision. It means presence, it means protection, it means promise. And those are wonderful things to take hold of. So, remember when you're 
praying to the Lord, singing to the Lord, walking with the Lord, talking to the Lord. Remember that He is your shepherd. That is a name of God, Jehovah-Rohi. And it means so much for your life and my life.